Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, a columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. It's been kind of a circus in national politics lately, uh, following the State of the Union last week. There was a talk of and later release of a memo, which uh, created a lot of hubbub before and, and after. And it's also a shutdown week once again this week. And I wish that we'd been talking about just the ongoing conversation about the differences on the that brought us to the shutdown, including immigration, the DREAM Act, and uh, about what Trump laid out in his State of the Union speech, about the four pillars of his immigration wishes. Uh, but we've not been talking about that as much as we've been talking about the memo. So today I want to talk mostly about the positioning on immigration ahead of the deadline on Thursday, February 8th. Uh, but let's first just clear the air a little bit and, and talk uh, and reflect a little bit about the memo and the other memo that will be maybe dropping soon. So why did both sides, uh, Democrats and Republicans, make such a big deal out of the memo? Because the stakes are high. Um, the presidency potentially is at risk. Um, that said, I think that there is an extraordinary degree of hyperbole on both sides. Um, the point of dispute is the fact that there was a dossier on uh, Donald Trump um, called the Steele dossier after the foreign, uh, former British spy uh, who uh, put it together. A dossier uh, is a collection of memos. information. Yes, okay. it's, it's, it, it, it took the form mm -hmm. of a series of memos. Uh, the memos collectively are being referred to, for whatever reason, <laughs> almost universally as a dossier. So we've got a bunch of information on Trump that this guy Steele delivered to the, the FBI. Um, yes, but the providence of it is what makes it um, so controversial. Uh, it was, its production was paid for uh, by the Clinton campaign and the Democratic Party. And the FBI uh, used the information in the dossier, according to the memo, uh, at least partly to justify a wiretapping warrant under the Foreign Surveillance Intelligence Act, or the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, um, on a uh, individual, Carter Page, who had an ancillary role as a volunteer foreign policy uh, advisor to the Trump campaign. And the allegation in the memo is that there was inadequate um, disclosure to the court about the providence of the dossier in asking for the warrant. Now, uh, the Democrats have a memo that they have drafted that's going through the clearance process, and Republicans on the Intelligence Committee voted unanimously to release it as well. Um, the Democrats won? Uh, yes, the Republicans on the Intelligence Committee so voted that's, unanimously. That's it is out of the committee. It's subject to presidential review. And if the president 
uh, approves it for release, it will be released. If the president doesn't, uh, then the uh, House Intelligence Committee can vote to release it anyway. But it undoubtedly will state, as the Department of Justice and the FBI have pretty publicly hinted at, that the Steele dossier was only part of what it relied upon. And there was at least some disclosure uh, that uh, there were politically interested parties that provided it. So the Republicans believe, uh, and they state it more strongly than this, but I'm going to state it the way that I think is more fair, uh, that the FBI and the Department of Justice were too eager to exonerate uh, Hillary Clinton during the course of the campaign over the uh, email scandal of hers, and too eager to investigate the Trump campaign about alleged uh, ties to the Russian government and collusion to influence the outcome of the election. Uh, the Democrats are heavily invested in the collusion message, so they're anxious to prevent uh, any discrediting of it. Uh, and certainly Trump misrepresented the memo as exonerating him on the, con con uh, the uh, collusion uh, probe and, and discrediting the Mueller investigation, and it has nothing to do with the Mueller investigation. Right. That occurred subsequently. There's been, I've raised questions about the early pattern of indictments and how they have nothing to do with the main focus of his probe, but there's been no suggestion so far of impropriety in the way that Mueller is conducting the investigation, comparable to what the memo alleges about uh, the FBI and its acquisition of the warrant on Carter Page. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about two different aspects of this. <clears throat> the first being just the factual stuff of what does the memo say? Is it true? And then the second piece would be kind of the political impact and the, and the different stories that are being told about it, not only before it was, ha it was released, but now that it has been released. In terms of the factual basis, they're claiming, the Republicans are claiming, basically, the reason this FISA warrant existed was because of the Steele story, the Steele dossier, and the Steele dossier was paid for by Democrats. They didn't tell them, so it's, it's biased, and that shouldn't have been the case. <clears throat> Isn't it true, though, that um, the investigation into Carter Page was already happening and that there was other evidence that was included in there, which created the warrant against Carter Page. And isn't it true, too, I've been hearing a lot of uh, writing and, and reports that, you know, the, the FBI maybe did know that the Democrats at least partly were funding it, and that it's not even that unusual for sources of information to come from part partisan means, um, and that the FBI had had previous relationship and contact with Steele and found this person to be to be pretty reliable. Carter Page apparently was a subject of interest earlier, um, uh, but uh, we have no information that I'm uh, privy to 
that he previously was subject to the wiretap. Uh, the allegation in the Republican memo is that the FBI indeed did know uh, the funding source for the Steele memo, but failed to disclose that fully to the judge who was deciding to issue the warrant so that the judge could use that uh, in evaluating the weight to place on the information in the Steele dossier. But that's something where we're never going to truly know what was well, what was given or what was not to unless, the judge. Well, we, we're, we're going to now get the Democratic, and I, I believe that, that even if Trump won't approve uh, release of the Democratic memo, I will be surprised if Republicans don't vote to release it Anyway, Republicans in Congress. Um, so we will get the... They can do that? The de- yes. Yes, they have the, the power to go ahead and, and, and overcome the president's opposition and release it anyway. And I anticipate in the event that Trump doesn't approve its release that Republicans in, in the House will do that. Um, so we will get the Democratic interpretation of what's in the warrant. Uh, it's been pretty well uh, previewed. It's going to say that there wasn't uh, that strong of a reliance on the Steele dossier. There was other information, and there was some disclosure um, that uh, a political, politically interested party um, was responsible for the Steele dossier. We won't know for sure unless the request for warrant itself is declassified and made public. I'm going to be surprised uh, if that doesn't happen. Uh, and so expecting all that information. I, I believe that it should happen. There's been a lot of accusations, and some of them have come from Arizona's two senators, uh, that all of this is jeopardizing the... Uh, FBI's ability to conduct these kind of investigations and reveal sources and methods of data collection. This is a guy that came from the FBI and said, here, I got a bunch of stuff you ought to look look at. Um, uh, It's highly doubtful that uh, the FISA warrant itself cannot be released in a way that, to the extent there are true sources and methods that need to be protected or protected, and allow people to make their own judgment as to whether the Republican spin or the Democratic spin uh, is more justified by the document. I think that's where we're headed. Yeah. It's too bad we just didn't start there <laughs> and and skip all of this yeah. partisan yeah. And I wanna, toing and froing about it. I want to get to the Democratic response to it. And they're, before it was released, they were making a big fuss about how this would jeopardized national security and it was and it was dangerous. I want to talk about that a little bit. Why did the Republicans want to get this out uh, in the first place? I think there's a lot of people talking about the their their motivations to it. Was there are are they motivated by just blurring and making this Russian story as confusing as possible, in which case it might undermine uh, the any result that would come out of you know this the special prosecutor against Trump or any other information coming out of the FBI, especially when you know their accusation is that the FBI was 
was kind of out to get Trump. But we didn't even know during the campaign that there was an investigation into Trump. We did know there was an investigation into Clinton, and information came out re- no. recently before opening opening up and up and back in the. Well, re- remember Harry Reid before the election made a big stink uh, towards Comey after he reopened the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email because of Anthony Weiner's um, computer discovery, um, that the FBI had explosive information about Donald Trump and was sitting on it. Uh, You also did have Steele succeed in getting a couple of news articles written uh, alluding to the dossier and uh, including reference to the fact that um, it was under investigation. This is part of what caused the FBI to fire him. The FBI was actually paying the guy for a while. Uh, got the FBI to fire him because as, he was as a consultant as a because source. he was he was revealing information that was part of the investigation. So how then? I, I I think that there are several motivations. I think there is a genuine outrage among Republicans uh, that a partisan opposition research hack job uh, was used to uh, authorize a a wiretapping of an American citizen and a belief, although this hasn't been part of what's been revealed so far, that the Steele dossier was also part of what triggered the investigation of ties between uh, the Trump campaign uh, and Uh, the Russian government. So I think there's a genuine outrage over the behavior. There's no question uh, that there's a political motivation. As I said, it may be that the presidency is at stake. Uh, Two, uh, even though a lot of people involved, like Trey Gowdy, has denied this, to undermine the ongoing Mueller investigation by saying that it has a poisoned origin. Yeah. And I don't know why they aren't outraged by Russia hacking in to, to emails and trying to influence our election. There's no, doesn't seem like there's any outrage about um, that we might be continually to face cyber attacks and influence by a foreign government and that the President of the United States doesn't care anything about it when he used to be all anti and, and up in arms against Russia. And the you know you don't even hear about this this much because it gets drowned out. But the you know the sanctions that were passed by Congress, Trump was just kind of like, well, we don't need to really enforce those against against Russia. So I think the outrage on the Democrat side is, why aren't you? Why do you care so much about kind of these nuances of of um, of getting warrants when we think you're misrepresenting that anyways? When the bigger, huge picture right here, you're just trying to obscure it with all this. Uh, all this other junk. It's but be, it's because of the accusation uh, that uh, the Trump campaign was in cahoots uh, with the Russian government uh, over um, to to conduct this disinformation and disruption campaign. Well, wouldn't they want to know that, that there isn't? Like, isn't that what the point of investigation I, is? We've discussed this before. But as leaky as everything has been here, if there was a scintilla of evidence uh, of actual collusion, I can't imagine that it wouldn't have gone public by now. 
So the perception of Republicans is that Democrats are using this as a political weapon, that it's not a good faith uh, effort to document what the Russians did and figure out what we can do about it. Right, right, right. And and the Democrats kind of, I think, overplay their hand a little bit by getting so outraged about jeopardizing national security. I mean, kind of the reaction when it came out, when people actually read it, was like, uh, yeah, it doesn't really say what you said, what the Republicans said it was. So why are you fighting so hard to not get it released, saying kind of a phony deal of like, this is going to jeopardize our national security? Everyone read it. It was kind of like, uh, okay, you know. No, no, no question they've overplayed this. In reality, in a sensible political system, there would be bipartisan concern over uh, whether the FBI um, used information incorrectly to obtain a warrant and, lost an inv- and launch an investigation and bipartisan concern about documenting everything we could about Russian interference in our election and discussing what we should do about it. Instead, it's all being subsumed by these political agendas. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sad. A lot of theatrics and, um, a lot of if the situation was reversed, you'd be saying, saying the exact opposite opposite things, that's which prob- is what everything. Yeah, that's, maybe that's is, probably but. my greatest <laughs> disappointment, but also amusement with our political process. You can take what any of these guys say, uh, and they would say exactly the opposite in similar circumstances if you just changed yeah. who's advantaged and disadvantaged. Yeah, Brett Stevens wrote a column about that in the New York Times, uh, just about. Let's do a thought experiment. Imagine everything that Trump and the Republicans are doing was being done by the Democrats and Democrat Congress. I mean, Republicans would, I think their minds would explode. They'd be <laughs> so up in arms. But uh, so anyways, all that's been going on. And we're in the middle of a, uh, it, it was a three-week extension. Was it three weeks? Yes. A three-week extension on a, on a deal that's been a budget deal that's been extended several times already to try to keep the government open. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, the big obstacle for coming to a budget agreement was over immigration and over uh, the dreamers, children who've been uh, brought here undocumented by their, by their parents. And that received temporary legal status, semi-legal status under Obama. So Trump laid out in the State of the Union his, I guess, requests or where he stands on it. I, I uh, think he would call them demands. Demands. <laughs> but he's been, I mean, he's been all over the place and is what, what, he, what he's for, what he's not for, what he's willing to take, what he's not willing to take. So he kind of said it very, very publicly um, in the State of the Union, what he claims is the most watched ever in history. <laughs> There's a lot of in history, in his speeches, <laughs> everything was the most in history. Mm-hmm. But he laid out four pillars of his immigration plan. Number one was that the Dreamers, 1.8 million of them, uh, would be legalized and also have a pathway to citizenship over 10 to 12 years. Second pillar is money for the border wall. Third pillar is ending what he calls chain migration, what Democrats would call family unification. And fourth, an end uh, to the visa or a change or an end to the visa lottery system. 
So are we any closer to a deal right now on DACA and opening the government than we were three weeks ago? It doesn't appear that we are. Uh, and um, my own view is that the only path to legalization and uh, the only path to having legalization and also having a path to uh, citizenship for dreamers uh, is the Trump deal. I don't particularly care uh, for the other things that he's talking about. I don't think a wall is uh, that important. Uh, I think that we need to have a thoughtful discussion about the extent to which our immigration system is uh, devoted to attracting people with skills that will help our economy as opposed to our historic mission uh, of um, uniting uh, families and providing freedom and opportunity uh, for people who otherwise might not have it. That's been a defining characteristic of the United States um, since our founding. That's a very profound question. But Trump is president. Uh, the wall was his signature campaign promise. I believe uh, that he will veto any dreamer fix that does not include funding for his wall and something which reduces uh, existing non-skilled base immigration. And I do not think that his veto can be overcome. Uh, I also think that it would be dicey uh, for Paul Ryan to bring to the floor of the House an immigration reform that Trump opposed and which therefore would probably be opposed by a majority of his own caucus. So in my view, some way or another, Trump's president, uh, people may not like that, but it's a reality. And as president, he has a lot of leverage points. So at some point, I believe, if not at this point, he's going to get funding for the wall. I think that's inevitable. The immigration reform changes that he wants are reversible. Uh, a future Democratic president, a Democratic Congress, could restore the diversity visa lottery, could expand uh, family-related immigration again. But in the meantime, uh, dreamers would have legal status and a path to citizenship. Uh, and to me, their interests should go first. And as hard as it is for Democrats to swallow the Trump deal, particularly the way Trump has behaved towards them recently, I, I think that the dreamers' interests should be put first, the deal should be accepted, because I don't see any other way um, dreamers aren't left out to dry. Yeah, my first reaction, so earlier this week, there was a proposal talked about, even McCain's name was on one of them, to do a very kind of stripped-down Dream Act, where it was basically just protection for the dreamers, and a little bit of, just a little bit of what maybe even none of what Trump wanted on those pillars. The, the, the McCain proposal is the DREAM Act and then just a study of yeah. border security to be delivered by, I think, 2020. That just isn't going anywhere. And Trump Trump got wind of that and tweeted out 
there's no don't even think about bringing any deal to me without uh, without a wall. And my reaction when I read that was like, prove it, like, um, just put it on the table, make them, um, make them vote on. It. I thought uh, he might be might be bluffing, or that he that he would not actually veto something that got through got through both. That was my first reaction. But then just we talked a little bit earlier, and um, you know you have. When it comes down to it, you have no idea what Trump is is going to do or or what he's not going to do, and if you, you know, if you put something out there that he says he's not going to sign, that's a that's a major gamble for the uh, for the dreamers, and also he made a good point that you know you put something out there that Trump is 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 bashing on, it probably won't even get a vote in the House of Representatives at I, all. I think it is hard to get something that Trump opposes on immigration through the House of Representatives. And I do not think the guy is bluffing. It's true he's been all over the place, but he's not been all over the place about the wall. Uh, And I just find it inconceivable that he would sign a dreamer fix without funding for the wall, Um, both because of what he said in the past and because he would then become the loneliest man in politics ever because his base are the immigration restrictionists. And uh, if he signed a dreamer fix with nothing for the wall, um, I think they would abandon him. They're already sharply criticizing the deal that he has proposed. Yeah, including Kelly Ward, uh, Arizona Republican candidate for for the Senate came out and said she wouldn't be in in favor of the pillars that <clears throat> Trump laid out. Um, to, to to me, people need to put Trump aside and focus on the dreamers. There is a path that Trump has identified to get them not only legal status, but a path to citizenship. That's worth paying a heavy price, particularly when one part of the price, funding the wall, I think is going to be inevitable. And the other two prices uh, are reversible. Yeah. And I think where Democrats are coming from, especially on the, you know, the far left, they're saying, you know, this, both sides want this DACA, you know, deal. Both sides want dreamers protected. So who's who's the one that's being the obstacle? If both sides want this, one guy's huffing and puffing about a wall, and it, it can't get done. I, but I, I favor a standalone Dream Act. But Trump is president, right? And while a majority of Congress <clears throat> might favor a standalone Dream Act, two thirds of Congress do not. And that's yeah. what's required to overcome a veto. And maybe think about political calculations. Um, you don't know. Maybe Democrats are trying to. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to give up X, Y, Z to get to get Dream Act uh, protection. Um, but maybe they can. Maybe maybe they can claim a win for uh, for getting the Dream Act done, and then message it like um, like you're talking about. Of of those those things are reversible. But last time we ran into like the blame game. Um, it seemed like Chuck Schumer was and the, and the Democrats were ready to give the wall funding. Um, it seems like there's more of a steady target this time. Um, 
do you anticipate the deal happening right now? And if, um, what do you think is going to be the determining factor I'm, for I'm, for overcoming those, those I'm, things? I'm very fearful. I, I expressed confidence in this podcast on more than one occasion that one way or another something would be done to provide uh, legal status to the dreamers. I no longer have that confidence. Um, I suspect we're headed towards another punt on the budget, uh, something that is another continuing resolution to some additional date certain. Uh, but uh, at present, I'm not seeing give. The, the Democrats are, are trying to find a solution uh, that goes around Trump. And you can't go around the president when you have to pass the law. And when you have, you know, you've got a critical mass of Republicans that are not going to do something that Trump doesn't want. I think that's another thing to think about is the Congress isn't fully acting like an independent body in terms of we can get this done, let's do it. President, you know, we have the we have the constitutional power to overcome what the president wants. But because there's so many Republicans that are un, unwilling to depart from from what Trump wants, that that that's not going to happen. Um, another. The, one thing I don't get about the just just the hardliners on on immigration is like what, um, what's the other alternative? I mean, you're going to ran up and deport. I think there's like eighteen to twenty, approximately million undocumented people here, um, including the you know one point eight or whatever many dreamers that you can put on. I mean, do they want to round up everyone and deport all of them? It just seems to me that at some point, you know, call it what you will, but amnesty is just you know more practical as a, you know, as a response. I, I agree that amnesty is uh, more practical um, and more just, uh, given that I think these people followed our de facto immigration policy, which is we will try to nab you when you cross the border. If you make it across and otherwise live a uh, quiet, uh, productive life, uh, we'll leave you alone. So I'm all in favor of amnesty. Um, but the alternative, at least among thoughtful immigration restrictionists, and there are those, uh, is not rounding people up in deportation. It's what's called attrition. You begin to enforce the law. Uh, and uh, as you increase the likelihood of getting caught and deported, uh, which precludes you coming back uh, for 10 years, uh, people will, as they chose to come here, will, chose, will choose to, live, to leave. There is a small fraction of the immigration restrictionists uh, who believe in applying that to the dreamers. Uh, but even among the immigration restrictionists, uh, there's a recognition that uh, these young adults are different. Um, their parents made the decision to violate U.S. law. I think they should be granted amnesty, but you do have that culpability. Their children who are brought here uh, didn't have that volition. Uh, and um, unlike their parents, the country that they came from is a foreign country to them. Yeah. Uh, so I have always thought that this is an area of consensus. Um, 
everything demonstrates that, but the politics say that that consensus has to go through Donald Trump. Yeah. And as much as, you know, as much as that's a moving target, you know, if you can pin something down, maybe that's where you just find, find, uh, find that inroad and, and make it happen. And we may be back here for another podcast (laughs) two weeks from now. This might be like Groundhog Day. Yeah, maybe we can just rerun this one. (laughs) (laughs) When people were talking about Groundhog Day and the extending winter, I was like, well, like 80, 80 and sunny every day. I'll take I'll take a few more weeks of that. Well, thank thank you very much for listening. This is the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, we're on Apple, iTunes, um, podcasting app, pretty much any other podcasting app. You can also find us on Facebook. Thank you.